Welcome to the One Oahu Podcast. I'm Brandi Higa, and today is Thursday, February 22nd, 2024, and we're back this week with Mayor Rick Blangiardi on a short week. It was a holiday week. On a do short you, week and a short get, month. Do you it's get holidays? No. 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 Uh, on Monday, we did the uh, Great Aloha Run in the morning. That was fun. Spent a lot of Monday, though, trying to get ready to uh, hopefully craft a very well-meaning and uh, powerful state of the city address. And that just takes time in trying to look at all of our accomplishments, what we've done, how you want to weave that narrative together. I owe it to the team to represent them uh, in their work and, and really, really for the community because all of their work is for the community to have that moment in time and hopefully deliver some a meaningful message that will help um, inspire the community uh, in ways from the standpoint of feeling good about what we're doing, getting done in local city government. So definitely, you know, I, I always keep in mind the challenge that we set out for ourselves to, to rebuild, regain trust in local city government. And we only can do that through our actions and our deeds. And, uh, and that takes time. You know, tailing on that, just last week, an audit was released, a follow-up audit on the Department of Planning and Permitting, yeah. um, specifically as it dealt with uh, uh, permits and the wait time and, and things like that. Are you pleased with the progress that's being shown there for that department? You know, yes and no. I would say yes, because we are making progress. We have good direction. We have clarity of purpose from the standpoint of knowing uh, what our plan is to um, make things better. You know, from people to the technology, to our alignments with acuity, the decisions we made on certain software programs, some of our hiring that we've been able to get done, et cetera, the investment. No, in the sense that um, you really want it to happen faster than it is. So it's a little bit frustrating, but I, we're addressing all the tough stuff. That last city audit that they presented in January of 2020, the year before we got into office, mm-hmm. uh, was pretty daunting, you know? and. Um, and not much was done about it. And I give them a hall pass, uh, the prior administration, because COVID happened later that year. I mean, they got, the, they got the audit in January, and by March, this place was shut down. But this stuff was decades old, and it was known then. And so, you know, the very fact that we inherited um, the challenges that weren't addressed, and then, you know, obviously, the COVID-19 shutdown, the federal indictments, a really kind of challenging really ill-conceived third-party review system that only proved to lengthen the approval processes. Those as an overlay to everything that we got, um, yeah, I'm pleased at where we are right now, mm-hmm. but we haven't, we haven't really eased the pain yet. You know, I know that there's still pain in the permitting process, and I know the economic ramifications of that, and that's why I know in a sense, because I don't want anybody to think for a second just because we're on the right path going forward, that we're happy about that. We're very anxious. Not unlike, not unlike what we did with the bot, using artificial intelligence on the 3,600 applications that were pre-screened that are now down to zero, and it takes three days Mm -hmm. in pre-screen. We can do that on the next phase of both permitting and what we're doing with AI on the code readers, because really from 2016, the codes got very complicated. And, and really created a big backlog. We get over those hurdles, which we know we will, but we haven't yet, I'm gonna feel really good about things. But until we get there, 
uh, and actually, quite honestly, actually add some more staff as well because we need some really critical staff. And we're working with the unions. We've gotten a go-ahead. We're going to hire 15 engineers. Uh, we've been able to get approval to be able to hire at market rates. Uh, we just have to find them and identify them. Um, until we get that stuff done, still not satisfied. But we know what to do, and we've got direction, we've got budget, we've, we've had some great help from the unions on being able to do that to understand what the job force out there is mm -hmm. in order to be competitive, in order to hire these critical positions. We had to overcome some arcane circumstances, and, and we're doing that. But it's like in the middle of a fight or in the middle of a baseball game. You know, it's like saying, you know, we're in the second, second or third inning. Feel good about winning the game, but we still got to play a bunch more innings. Right. I think if I could say it that way. It's really unfortunate, but it was also a busy weekend um, for our police department yeah. with two yes. murder investigations, uh, Saturday a fatal shooting, and then on Sunday a, a deadly stabbing near yeah. Ke'eo Moku. Have you been briefed on these incidents? Uh, only that they had a suspect in custody on Saturday, uh, not so much on the stabbing. Uh, Chief Logan um, had notified me about it. I don't have the details per se. You know, ironically enough, there was an article in Sunday Star Advertiser uh, at the same time um, pretty much validating the fact that a lot of other crime was down. Yet yeah. these, you know, it was ironic in a way because, quite honestly, in a couple of categories, there's some really dramatic improvement. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and then you have uh, what almost seems uncharacteristic for Hawaii but has been proven to be more and more in our lives, these violent murders, if you will. I mean, this was a, as I understand it, this was a fight, if you will, or an argument that broke out over the weekend, and uh, and they knew each other, and, 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 and somebody was killed. You know, I mean, look, I sound old school, and I'm not encouraging fist fights either, but I come from a generation where if a fight broke out, it was pretty much a fist fight, and probably 15 minutes afterwards, people were hugging and apologizing and having a beer together to suddenly people pulling out guns and shooting people is uh, a very scary proposition. But it's seemingly so that HPD has been holding more press conferences lately and making themselves more available, at least within the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I want to credit HPD for their willingness to do that. I also want to credit your communications team and Scott and Ian did a seminar over there. And I think also the kind of way our communications team is working and mm -hmm. they see us with the rest of the city being transparent and putting things out there and trying to inform the public kind of in the spirit of how we opened up today's podcast talking about you know, uh, our efforts to um, to talk to the public and, and make things known. I'm, I'm pleased. I, I, see that I see them responding to the coaching, if you will. We've had some pretty intense private conversations as well. I think it actually created some publicity of its own. We weren't trying to, we weren't trying to be openly critical, undermine, usurp, or whatever with the police. We just feel that in this world we live in today, especially with instant, instant information, if you will, the, the now aspect of when push alerts go out, the people have a need to know, especially if there's something that could be dangerous to them. I, I, I appreciate the fact that I'm seeing some really marked improvement. I want to encourage that and, and, and encourage them to even get better at what they're doing. The last time we had you on this podcast, you talked about Evie Lay Center, the ability for that space to host homeless individuals now. What's the latest for that space? 
Well, we're in the now phase, uh, and um, we have a concept where we think we can move 100 in there as a triage center. Uh, we're in the final stages, I believe, of getting the paperwork signed, and I'm hoping that I'm going to hear that it was signed today because it was tied up in um, between core and in 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 in. And procurement, but you know we need that authorization to have um, the the healthcare providers in there. Um, we as a triage center, we'll treat it like Honu, and that we'll bring in people, we'll get them stabilized, we'll redirect them to other places. Uh, I when the governor gets back, we're talking about using part of the outside to put Cal uh, Holly out there. He's ordered 200 of those. He just put in 34. Uh, somewhere in Kaneohe, I don't know exactly where it is, and, and you know that's gone well for them. Immediate occupancy, people tend to stay there. We're gonna we're gonna do that. So, we'll, and then I think that as the property itself, as the current tenants that we have in there move out, they're all on month-to-month -month leases, and they're looking uh, because once we bought it, we made it clear that we're gonna knock it down in a couple of years, and we're gonna begin the development phase, and you know with working putting it out for bid and seeing what comes back on hopefully what will be in a fabulous mixed-use place ultimately um, that as they move out we'll have more capacity in there uh, starting out with a hundred plus is a pretty ambitious in one location but it's a perfect setting for it and everybody that's seen it feels that way we've shown it to the homeless service providers Connie mm -hmm. Mitchell at uh, Institute for Human Services and, and Laura Thielen from Partners in Care mm -hmm. and a few other nonprofit providers Everybody really loves this concept. So we're very anxious um, to begin treating those people. We've gotten core reactivated back in the business now of, of picking up people in the street, providing medicine, whatever. We don't have a place to go. But we have actually three things happening simultaneously. We have Evil Leahy Hospital and then Waikiki Vista mm -hmm. for families. So as we begin to screen and like we said, we're gonna put these people in pods, the various needs, we're gonna to begin to segment, but we now have places to put them, CORE can do it, and relying on the state to help us with the monies to pay for the healthcare providers. That's always been the X factor, that army. And we've been actually looking at a couple of other concepts too, with third party providers to could also help with healthcare workers. You, you touched on this, but can you talk about some of the successes of your affordable housing working group? You know, when you look at this thing historically, the city uh, instituted the Department of Housing in 2011, but never staffed it or funded it, okay? And again, I'm not here to take pot shots. It's a reality. Uh, and then if you predate that, though, when they had to reestablish it in 2011, that was going back to the 1990s when they just sort of disseminated or, or not disseminated, dispersed Mm -hmm. housing and made it this sort of esoteric thing they got out of the business of it. And so then 2011, they institute housing, but there's not a staff and no funded, and that's sort of what we walked into. There really wasn't, there was one person in housing doing mostly homeless work mm -hmm. with administrative aid, and the city just wasn't taking the initiative to be a player in housing. It was forfeiting the private activity bonds that represent over $125 million a year, year after year, back to the state. Uh, they had, we found lapse monies from the Affordable Housing Fund, which comes out of people's taxes, which we've already since appropriated. Uh, there really wasn't anybody under roof that could speak the language of housing so that we could interact with developers or we weren't taking our properties that were being bought and trying to do something with them. I mean, quite honestly, um, the city was a non-player 
in the housing business, making some land acquisitions uh, or building acquisitions, but quite honestly, um, when you consider the pressing need, so we've changed all of that. And I think more than anything, putting a stake in the ground and saying that by fiscal year 29, we will have developed 18,000 affordable housing units. And then you, know, you add to that a piece of legislation like Bill 7 or the work that we've done with, with DPP to work closely with, because it really is, I think more than anything, Brandy, is the fact that we formed this affordable housing working group, recognizing that the way the city was structured, even though we've now beef, beefed up the housing department with Denise Seri Matsubara, who came over mm -hmm. from the Hawaii Housing, HHFDC mm -hmm. at the state, and then her deputy who came over, uh, Kevin Auger, uh, having people at that level being able to interact with Kat Tashner, um, you know, these are high quality people, very knowledgeable and experienced in this world, and the interaction we have with DLM, DLM and, and, and uh, housing, combined with the other groups which we need at the table, which is CORE, uh, Legal Counsel, which is BFS, uh, to get the kind of collaboration. That we talk about cross-sector collaboration, it takes that. We're starting to make some real inroads because everybody's on the same page now. I just left the meeting earlier talking about some of the stuff we're gonna do at Delight Bakery and a couple of other places, all tied to TOD, which is what Evil said is really about going forward. We've made two big acquisitions. I mean, we made Waikiki Vista at the time for 37.75 million, was the largest acquisition mm -hmm. uh, in the history of the city. And then we turn around later, now we bought Evil A Center, 3.8 acres in Evil A, transformative. In addition to buying the first Hawaiian bank, we're only a bank, a building in the middle that we're negotiating on as we speak to open up and transform that entire area, anticipation of rail coming, what that's gonna mean. And if you go up in the sky and look down and you see the urban core of Honolulu, you see Chinatown, you see Ivalay, there it's the amount of landmass there is not a very big area. They're all been welded together. But you know, historically you had, you know, very industrial kind of setting in Ivalay, mm -hmm. you know, for what it was worth. And then Chinatown, which we've done a lot on just the last three years to clean up, but had been in really a declining way um, with a lot of homeless, a lot of criminal activity out there. Nonetheless, small merchants trying to work, restaurants trying to break through, but people fearful to go. All of that were changing. And when you look at that, you look at the urban core, you look at Chinatown, you look at Evil A, and you look at it, like I said, if you were to look down on it, the improvement of that and what we have planned and what will happen is is tremendous because you know and 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 when that then look at all the things that we're doing uh, to help with affordable housing, you know the Hocking Holly project, which is where the Old First Hawaiian Bank is, that is set to be 40 units of one studios, one bedrooms, and two bedrooms, for AMI of 50 percent and below. That is that is truly affordable housing for downtown people who could work and live right downtown. And well, there's another thing we're looking at with the Affordable Housing Fund for another project in Chinatown, 51 units. And we've already done some things like that. So I think it's all of that. It's starting, it's starting to come together. You know, we've only been at this three years, and honestly, the first year with COVID, we, were, we couldn't play like this. We couldn't work like this. Now, you know, we've got the players in the room. They've got the know-how. We've got the strategy. We see the possibilities. We're executing on that. We're spending money wisely. We're spending it aggressively. Um, 
where it really makes sense. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about it. I mean, I could, you could do this for a while. This is about, uh, and I'm not an urban planner by trade, but I got people in there, you know, uh, who understand that. And um, it's, starting to, it's starting to make a lot of sense. I'm getting very excited about the possibilities, not the least of which is some of the TOD stuff that we have, we have earmarked to help us as, as, the, um, as the real as skyline um, comes into town. So it's interesting because on the front page of Sunday's paper, there was a story that the headline was Isle Exodus. Yeah. And it cited the estimated $185 million lost in taxes since 2020. Yes. So you're talking about housing while additional workforce housing could kind of, you know, make a chicken. Keep people and keep here. People I don't, you here. know, people who leave that's, here don't really want, excuse me for talking over yeah, no, They don't really want to leave here. Right. You talk to people, I've talked to a lot of people and, and they've kind of given up because the math doesn't work and we don't have the kind of jobs necessarily. And at the end of the day, everybody pays taxes, everybody's got mouths to feed. And if the rents are what they are and they're beyond people's ability to do that, feed a family, even possibly mm -hmm. educate their kids, you know, and, and if they wanted to send them to something other than a public school and they can't do all of that, despite the fact that they're working husband and wife and sometimes in that whole mix there's a third job, whether it's two part-time, two part-time jobs or somebody working a second job. We lead the country in second incomes per capita in a service-oriented economy, not known for a lot of high-paying jobs. People who want to stay here just say, I can't do it anymore. And you know what? That's really, really something that the state and the city has to pay attention to, this out-migration. Not because of tax dollars lost. Yeah, that's real. It's, it's people, it's mm -hmm. the workforce of the future. It is that tax base and what you want, but it's also people who, who are from here who want to live here as in, where, where maybe they grew up and want to raise their families. They've got to say, you know, I, I can't get there. And we are, we've had some people coming into the state, so the net numbers are not, and the loss is dramatic as one would think. But if you look at the people leaving, that's too many are just having to give up. You know, so I look beyond the net number and look at the fact that, you know, I think in 22, probably 50,000 people left. Yeah, it came down to a net of about 14. I forget the actual numbers in the Sarah They're a little bit different than the numbers that I mm -hmm. had. It, you know, at, at the loss of maybe, say, 10,000, which is still too many. I don't want to sound cavalier mm -hmm. about it, but it was really a lot more local people saying, we gotta go somewhere else to live. And they don't, and they don't really wanna do that. So I, I get pretty animated about this topic because I also know that before they give up, they go through a lot of anguish. They go through a lot of hard work, a lot of sacrifice, and everything they can before they finally say, we can't do it anymore. And that, that anguish alone is not good for a society. You know? and, and, and so this idea of trying to get housing created, at least we're in the business of rental housing, not what people can buy. Mm -hmm. If other developers have come up with stuff that people can buy and they can afford, God bless them. But we really want to be able to put roofs over people's heads so that they can live here and not necessarily have to have to leave. And if the people do leave of their own volition because they want to do that, then they don't fault them. Somebody decides, hey, I want to raise my family in Idaho. God bless you, you know, if that's, that's a decision. But so many of the people are just, they're giving up, and that's where the anguish comes, because families know that. Families know that their families, part of their families, couldn't handle it anymore. And, and it shouldn't be like that. And, and we need to do something about that. That's what this is all about. I, it's the most important thing we're doing right now. It's absolutely the most important thing. So we're towards the end of February. Actually, next week is when the month of March begins. So we're about 
two weeks away less than that actually from the filing date of when you uh, file your proposed budget for the next fiscal year. So affordable housing, I know that you just signed Bill 40, so relief for businesses, things like that. What kind of things can people expect to see as your priorities or or I what's in your I, proposed budget? Yeah, I yeah. appreciate you saying that. I think our priorities are gonna be housing, homelessness, and, and fixing DPP as far as departments and mm -hmm. making sure we're staffed properly. And that's all the other stuff that comes under that. You know, it goes on with public safety. Had a big meeting with HR earlier this week on where we are with our employees. We continue to recruit what we need because we have, we have manpower needs. You know, ongoing efforts to modernize the city. I mean, you know, some of the stuff we're doing infrastructure-wise, but there's a lot of things in our city operations that need that. And then you just have the day-to-day -day stuff of all of our various departments. You know, we, um, uh, we have, uh, at last count, about 10,500 employees. We have about 8,700 full-time uh, employees, and the balance is in uh, FTEs, our in-personal services contracts. Mm -hmm. That's a big, a big workforce, a lot of departments, and um, you know, doing a lot of stuff, you know, facilities and maintenance, parks and recreation. These are all the things that touch people's lives, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, that's the fun of this job, it's the challenge of this job, it's all about the stuff that makes a city great, is it a good place to live, that, you know? And we just gotta get housing worked out better, and also about, um, creating jobs, you know, gonna be leaving after this podcast for a couple of days up in Los Angeles, um, talking uh, to major studios, uh, laying out Bill 59 and what we intend to get done here. It's not gonna be built overnight, but we wanna keep feathering the nest uh, about the fact that we wanna be open for business for network productions and all kinds of other content producers, you know, with all the distribution platforms today, not the least of which is digital platforms, there's a lot of content out there. I know I, I, it's almost become a hobby of mine now to kind of see what's in all these digital. I, I'll hit around and just hit, you know, different apps sometimes on my TV. You could spend almost an hour looking at all mm -hmm. that stuff. Well, you know, people like to do stuff in Hawaii, and we, we need to be able to take care of that. For the past three years, the city and county of Honolulu, under your administration, has been named as Forbes one of the best in-state employers. Um, but a new distinction recently as one of the best in the nation this yeah. year. What was your reaction to that announcement? You know, I was pleased. I was, I, you know what, because they're having conversations with people that I'm not. You know, we're, we're yeah. doing this, you know, skip level, getting down, meeting people. Mike and I have done 27 of them now. We're gonna do another 25, maybe 50 across the board. But they're coming in here and they're tapping into, you know, uh, the pride of people and the pride that they have, you know. Uh, and working for the city and trying to make it a better place to live where they live, where they're raising their kids, where they were raised, et cetera. There's a lot of that. And then, you know, and they're looking at some of our practices too, because they see how we're operating mm -hmm. and they're acknowledging that. So I think we came out out of the 600 cities uh, that they had in America. We were in the top top half. I think we made the, the top half of that. Um, that's better than I graduated high school. Um, <laughs> and, but I feel pretty good about that. Uh, and. Uh, that wasn't in the upper half, I don't think. I was with the school, a lot of smart kids. That's that's always been my rationalization. They were all really smart. They were, um, but you know, I, I look and I, 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 you know, when they broke it down and we were, you know, uh, I think the third best place to work on Oahu when when we talk about places locally, uh, and we came behind Hawaii Pacific Health in four seasons. That was pretty good, and we're still the number one government place. And I think we we also made it. Uh, that was in all businesses. The the top top 300 out of 600, and then in government, we're in the top 10. That's pretty damn good. 
if I can say it that way. And I'm proud of that. But I think that's a reflection of the people who, how they feel about their work. For me, that is the good thing to work with, is that we have good morale. We have people who want to do well. You know, there's a, just a goodness about that. And we need to provide resources and leadership and all kinds of other things. Some of these places, you know, like I've said before, some of the areas that, you know, God bless the people, but they've been working shorthanded, under-resourced, under-invested in for a long time. That's all part of what we're trying to change, and you can't get that done overnight. Yeah, we're talking about keeping people here, keeping people working here. You know, we touched on this earlier. I just want to jump back to it. We talked about Bill 40. You signed that last week, designed to help mitigate some of the negative economic impacts presented by the construction of rail. Uh, can you talk about that measure? Why was that? Why was that important? Well, to you? you know, for one thing, predating me, you know, when they were building out of Waipahu and Iaia, there were, you know, it was very disruptive. The construction out there, it's, it looks beautiful now, and businesses are slowly, you know, coming in, in some of those areas. Um, but they had long-standing businesses that just folded their doors because people had no access. And I remember when I was in my former job, Hart mm -hmm. came to us to see mm -hmm. if we could help and. They didn't have any money and wherewithal. And now the same thing is sort of happening as we get into the downtown corridor. The Dillingham corridor is a really incredible, lengthy, intense piece of construction because it involves utility relocation and the building of guideways in a thoroughfare in an area that's heavily trafficked, right, with also mm -hmm. businesses surrounding it. And so there was a mitigation fund that was in place, but nobody seemed to know how to execute it. And we just said, you know what? We're going to figure out how to do that. And that was our, the marching orders we gave. We will figure this out. So Radio Cordero, who's a you know, councilwoman in Tyler Del Santos' time, and city council helped spearhead that. But it was also this office, our office initiative, saying we're going to make it. Had a lot of meetings with Andy Kawano, our director of budget and fiscal services, over this to get this. We've come up with a really good formula. It's nothing really weird to help the smaller businesses, people employing 20 or fewer people, $750,000 a year less uh, to make financial grants to them throughout the whole period of construction. And so far, so good. The feedback has been excellent because the amount of money we're offering is kind of the kind of money they were losing. But that's, um, you know, really can make the difference between staying in business and going out of business. We made it very clear in that day when we were there you know, our goal, both big businesses that are there and the small businesses that are there, we'd like to see everybody survive this construction period. If somebody decides to close their doors because whatever the reason it is, because businesses sometimes do that, that's different than being forced to because right. people couldn't access the business or they didn't have enough money. We're, we're trying to make that happen, and that would be, if we can keep that, that fabric intact of, of the kind of small shops that are there, uh, over time, things will change, right? I mean, um, and bigger stores will come in, uh, or bigger places perhaps someday. But right now, if you go down the Dillingham Corridor, for the commercial stores that are there, uh, there's a lot of lot of nice places. Nice is a word. There's a lot of places that are there. That people rely on, mm -hmm. and we want to make sure they're still there that they can rely on. Sticking with heart, you're about to meet with Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. Yeah. What are you hoping he takes away? What, what is the goal here? Well, I hope we impress the hell out of him, that we know what we're doing, that we got rail back on track. I want to talk to him about the second phase, even though it's going to go beyond my time in office, uh, you know, and what we can get done there. I'm going to take him out for a ride on Skyline so he can see 
you know, there's a lot of bragging rights. Uh, Scott Humber and I were out there last week. For they put together a video and they're talking about this is the only you know autonomous um, rail system in America. It's one of a kind. It's only a few in the world, etc. All the things that are going on, the efficiency of it. A lot of bragging rights there. I wanted to see it firsthand demonstrate to him that not only can we build it, we know how to own and operate it, we need to build more of it because this particular first phase of 18.75 miles, that's gonna stop ultimately at Civic Center. I'm gonna show him that where it stops and let him know that that next phase to get into Waikiki at least and then to get him out in Kapolei, uh, I'm gonna have him out there to show him the density out there that wouldn't need that to start to talk about how we can tee that up. And at the same time, give him the confidence that um, that uh, our ongoing construction and the further construction here is going to happen exactly as way we said, that the numbers that were vetted, that we submitted in our recovery plan are real, and we're handling it all very well. It's about, it's about building confidence and credibility, and I'm prepared to do that with them. Your new chief of staff is now on the job. Is he? What do you want folks yeah. to know about Andy? Have you seen him? I haven't <laughs> seen the guy very much. He's hard at work. That's he's hard at work. Yeah. No, Andy Sugg is here. I'm so happy. I think we're all thrilled. I know I feel a little bit for you in a sense in that you didn't work with Andy, but I know your compadres have, and mm -hmm. Scott Humber and Ian Schuring and Ryan Wilson. Uh, we all worked together. We know what a solid guy mm -hmm. uh, Andy is. And the truth is, I haven't seen too much of him because he's gotten off really very quick to start to meet people understand expectations, set expectations. Meanwhile, we're having a lot of conversations internally. I want him to go through a very necessary learning curve. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I'm so appreciative of the fact he gave up a big job in Boston. He and his wife moved back to Hawaii. The four years we worked together in Hawaii News Now were really great. I mean, he talked about it openly. I think we all cried. I, he says I was crying. I can't exactly remember crying, but I was pretty choked up mm -hmm. uh, when he left to leave us because we all loved working with him. I'm so pleased he's come back um, to work with us. And again, we've got five more years together and having, having Andy in that role is gonna be very meaningful. We lost a pretty incredible woman earlier this week in Emmy Tumenbaum. What was your relationship like with Emmy and, and what, do you, what do you want folks to remember her by? Boy, there's so much to remember about Emmy. You know, she was a real trailblazer. You know, she um, was outspoken. I, mean, I can still see her when she was a young reporter. She had a lot of uh, clarity of purpose and, 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 and wasn't, you know, and then at the same time, she was very lovely and very entertaining. So she had a hard side to her when she would do tough stories, when she was reporting. At the same time, did a lot of the soft stuff on entertainment and shows and could do really good in-depth interviews. Married to Jim Burns, son of John Burns, and I knew her, and I had, I had like a dual thing with her, maybe even three, three levels of a relationship. I think we were friends um, just because um, the dynamics of knowing her and, and how that was. And we had this relationship involving UH sports that carried all through all of it, both men's and women's sports, and then we were in the broadcast media together for a lot of years. So. You know, I saw her work. I mean, so many times I'd go to different events and she'd be emceeing or doing something different. She was out there um, at all times, loved this place, loved her culture. She really active in the Filipino culture. They were so proud of her because um, she was a breakthrough personality. She inspired a lot. She gave a lot. That was probably the other thing I should say. Emmy had a big heart. She was all heart. Omer. Well, 
on that note, this is the one Oahu podcast. So for one final thought. Boy, I have, I have a lot of thoughts, I guess. But one final one is that um, I'm really proud of this team. And I say it over and over again, but I see the plans we have in place. I see us now executing. You mentioned earlier we're looking at the 25 budget already. And we're at that time of the year where we've been doing that. But that's also helped me look ahead. I have a lot of confidence in the road ahead. And, um, and um, if I can say it this way, uh, equal amount of determination to make good on doing what we say we're going to get done. And I think people can count on that. We want, we want them to hold us accountable. Uh, we want to make this a better place. We all live here together. It's our responsibility. That's why we sought these offices, and we're not going to let anybody down. Mayor, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. And thank you for listening, and until next time, aloha. Aloha.